You're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of Dinner Party, Chef Amy Sins. Today on the show, I have a friend. His name is Chef Tenny Flynn. He was the chef at GW Fins here in New Orleans. He's now retired and traveling the world. And I just had to hear about his adventures and share them with you today. Thanks for joining us, Tenny. Okay, this is a question for you because I love to travel and when I travel, I love to eat and I want to eat all the things. Sometimes my fellow travel partners are afraid to eat all the things and the street food and all that. Is Have you had any hesitations eating while you're traveling? Are there any things that you go, I'm not going to eat that because that's risky or I'm just willing to roll the dice because it's good? I'm, you know... Cooked food is fine, pretty much. You know, surface bacteria, whatever, you know, high heat's gonna take care of that. Um, and I eat fruit juice and salads and, you know, it's just, I think I've got well-developed gut bacteria from you know, living in the French Quarter for a number of years. So, <laughs> um, I always never try to take antibiotics because I don't want anything to, you know, interfere with that, that good stuff down there. Um, I was opening a roost in, in Hong Kong and the uh, franchisees, they took us out for dinner, and I was offered, offered twice-boiled civet cat. And he goes, he goes, not kitty cat, like wuzzle. And he described it, and it didn't sound very good, so I passed on that. And 25 years later, I'm in Bali, a guest chef on a cruise ship, and got off for a day in Ubud and, and rented a, a driver. He took us around where he thought we'd spend money. And one of the places was the Kopi Liwak place. And, you know, they got the poor old ferrets in a cage running back and forth. And then they had a little diorama with, you know, the, the fresh leewack feces, you know, in the various stages of, uh, and, you know, five bucks, you get a sample and, you know, got little teas and stuff. And you know, it's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat the, the cat, but then I drank the coffee that came out of its ass. <laughs> and by the way, I would not, I would not recommend that coffee either. It was, there was nothing special about it. So. But yeah, every once in a while, um, I didn't want to eat a sea cucumber. I, I'll never eat another one. <laughs> I've seen them live. They're not. They don't look appetizing underwater. I put that on my on my papers when people say, "What are you allergic to?" <laughs> After having sea cucumber one time, I've decided I'm allergic to it. <laughs> but you know, um, I was in Thailand for a few weeks. So. Yes, four or five years ago, and the street food was just great. And you know, and I don't. I mean, I ate street food all over Mexico, and uh, I don't worry about that kind of stuff. Are there any street food dishes that you look back and go, "Wow, that blew my mind," or "That yeah, was sure. delicious"? I mean, bunches of them, and that's funny because the the foods I remember for three and a half months in Europe were the cheap stuff. I mean, I did the three star Michelin, eight hundred dollar lunch. And it was all fabulous, and I took pictures of everything, but I don't actually remember any of those dishes. I had a, uh, I had tripe cooked in pork blood in a Filipino restaurant. You know, they do a pork liver cooked in blood as a traditional dish. It was awesome. 
it was five bucks. I had a pizza in Rome that I went back and got the next day again, five dollars and fifty cents. Um, you know, I'm a big tripe fan, and uh, in Florence, they're all about the fourth stomach. Said, so, you know, the first that's a pre-stomach. You know, that's the kind of you, the honeycomb, the white stuff that you know you can you have to cook for hours and hours. Um, that was good. I had a cassoulet dish. Uh, that replaced duck with tripe in uh, in Portugal. That was that was really really good. I like I like the big flavors. You know I think a lot of chefs do that. Uh, you know and, uh, and and Colleen she will always try it, but she's not about the parts. <laughs> and and I like I like the big the big flavors and you know I like the high level of seasoning in uh, in Asia. Um, I'm sitting here looking at these vanilla beans that you brought me, Chef, and I can't wait to start cooking with them. And there's so much you've learned about vanilla in your travels. doesn't matter where it's grown as long as you let it ripen. And if you take a green bean and pick it before it's ripe, it looks and smells like vanilla. It dries out, it turns brown. No one's the wiser, but it has like maybe 20% vanilla. And if you let it ripen, it has like maybe 80%. Um, when it's ripe, and then the, I think the one on the end is a split, mm -hmm. um, you don't want it to get to that point because your shelf life is, is not much. But the, the vanilla, I mean, it has crystals showing by that time. It's incredibly pungent. You cure it in the sun, in the shade, in the sun, in the shade, back and forth, back and forth. It loses 80% of its weight. So I, I looked, Papantla, I looked at three different growing methods. Um, in the woods, uh, that was kind of wild because we were, I mean, it was way out of the country, you know, dirt, muddy dirt roads and cab bouncing around. And I had a, a guide that was, you know, and they, they came down and got it. They gave us walking sticks to walk up the hill because it was so muddy and get to the guy's house. And, and he had a table, I got a picture of me sitting at a table. It's got about 30 kilos of beans laid out on it. And he took some time. He spoke no English. He took some time, took us up on the side of the hill and saw his plants. Uh, he also dried for a lot of his, he cured for a lot of his neighbors. And he had this, uh, had this shed and, you know, a concrete pad and he had th these woven baskets and, you know, he, you know, they'd take them out and set them on the pad and they'd bring them back in at night. As I'm sure you know, there's a, there's a standard for extract. If you buy one full vanilla extract, it's going to have 13 ounces of beans, a gallon of liquid, which is 65% ethanol, 35% water. And that's, that's a standard. Twofold, twice as much, so on and so forth. You know, I think they even get up to fourfold for, you know, perfumes and things like that. Naturally, it gets more expensive as it goes along. Now, the bottom of that, when it's spent, kind of like the mast after wine grapes are crushed, they take in puree. You know, it doesn't really have a whole lot. They puree it. They add, you know, some variety of sugar, glucose, alcohol, some vanilla extract, and they call it vanilla paste. There is no standard for that. There are a few people, uh, one is one of them, that grinds the whole bean, and he'll sell you something that's, and they call the middle caviar. You know, yes. The kinds you scrape. Whole bean ground, uh, if that's the only ingredient, and some of the little drop of something to keep it pliable. But that's pretty good stuff. What he showed me to do that I'd never done before, because I always just scraped and, you know, I'd, you know, cook the pod and scrape it and, you know, throw it away or make extract out of it or something. But what he did, you know, you make your custard, 
leave the pot in it overnight, and then put it all in the Vitamix. And then so, you know, what you think is vanilla beans and a lot of this stuff is actually ground up pods. Um, I went to another place that was completely organic and pollinated by bees, which was very strange. And then I went to a Gaia, which is a full line producer that did greenhouse stuff and they dry in kilns. That it's a very low temperature thing. It's, you know, it's, I, I figured they'll just throw them in there, you know, toast them and dry them. It looked a little different. Plus the health of the plants that I saw in the greenhouse, even in my untrained eye, looked um, not as good. We saw another area that was, uh, they were growing under a canopy. Uh, and that guy didn't cure. He just sold green beans to somebody else that cured. You know, you've got people that grow things um, and, and hopefully they're in touch with that, you know, quality is the best PR. You know, if I grow the best thing there is, you know, the world will be the path my door. Or, you know, I take some kind of a pleasure out of producing the best I possibly can. And, you know, growers of everything do that. You know, whether it's grapes or tobacco or, you know, dairy and cheese or, you know, they're proud of their product. How are you choosing where you're going on these trips? Uh, well, eating's got a lot to do with it, of course. Um, <laughs> I've never been to Europe. I've been to Europe one time on a honeymoon 35 years ago for a week. You know, we went Ireland, England, Paris, we're done. And, uh, you know, when I was working for Ruth's, I did a lot of international travel. Uh, but that was, you know, Mexico and Puerto Rico and Taiwan and Hong Kong, uh, uh, Colleen, my partner, had, had gone to school in, uh, in Spain and done some traveling there. So we just kind of picked, and plus I had a friend in, um, in Umbria that was giving us a place to stay for a month for free. So we used that as a base and then we... Did you just decide, I'm, re I'm retired and I'm going to travel the world? Or was this always a dream and a plan? Well, I mean, it's... I always love to travel and uh, and doing it when you're not totally broke. You know, I've done it totally broke and uh, like a lot of things, it's more fun when you have a little wherewithal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I love to travel. Uh, scuba diving destinations are certainly. A, we spent four months in Dominica the last year and a half. Uh, I've got friends down there, and you know that is a that's like nothing like a Caribbean resort. It's a little tiny fishing town. So when you're you're staying in all these different places, are you renting a house? Are you staying with friends? Are you cooking what you catch? Well, I mean, in, in Dominica, I just rent a place for a month. You know, it's, I get a pretty much a first world apartment. It's got hot water and window screens and, you know, all the comforts of of home pretty much or 750 bucks a month um in europe it was a, a fair amount of airbnbs some hotels you know some staying with friends you know i'm really i'm looking at the hotel prices in in jakarta and i'm going yes <laughs> airbnbs start about nine bucks a night okay <laughs> the ritz carlton there which is the most expensive hotel that i, I saw listed is 148 bucks a night so if you're in the 40 and 50 dollar range it's probably pretty sweet and the street food there looks amazing. Do you find that now that you've traveled all over and you've tasted flavors in, you know, Central America and all over the U.S. and in Asia and Europe, are you finding that you 
gravitate to certain flavors now because just certain things that you've tasted are that aha moment and now I want more of it or I like I think the older I get the more simple the preparations uh, you know I mean it's kind of a truism if you have a great product you don't have to do a whole lot to it and uh, you know I want to I want to be somewhere at the peak of ripeness for figs or you know or peaches or, or something like that and you know it sounds kind of like an elitist way to travel but why the hell not you know you know, there's a thing in, uh, in Portland called the Fruit Loop, and you go around to all the all the vineyards and you know the fruit orchards, and uh, it's pretty awesome. And you know the and we're so used to to having out of season fruits, you know, 12 months out of the year that never tastes like much of anything. That when you get the real deal, and I think that you know for me that's I did a. a it was a, you know, you think of that, everybody knows about Doritos, you know, they were they were chemically engineered to make you want to eat another one, you know. And it works. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, so, but it's not just fast food and snack food. These additives are put in damn near everything. And my best example of that is if you ever give a kid real maple syrup when he's only had log cabin, you know, it doesn't, it's not mapley enough. You know, so real flavors, you know, at their peak, um, I hope they don't become a thing of the past. Uh, There's nothing like that strawberry peak. You pick it out of your garden and eat it, and it's super sweet and beautiful. Or that grape tomato right off the vine that's still warm from the sun. And I find that I'm I'm searching for that flavor, and I can't get that flavor in a tomato in a grocery store, you know? Well, it's a, refrigerating tomatoes kills them. And, you know, and a lot of the varieties that really taste great, you know, do not ship well. So, you know, the, the whole, all the heirloom varieties. But, you know, you see them in the grocery store, they've been cooled to the point where they have no flavor and texture. So, yeah, you know, you got to, it's a short... Like here, it's a very short window of decent tomatoes. What, six weeks maybe? If we're lucky. If it doesn't get too hot for the flowers to set, right? Yeah, I mean, when I first moved here, because I used to garden a decent amount in Atlanta, and when I first moved here, all my gardens were, you know, I'd have to, I finally learned you had to have the, the plant in the ground a foot tall, maybe with flowers the 1st of April in order to get a good crop before, you know, all the blossoms started falling off, you know, when it got too hot. So if you're diving and you're fishing and you're traveling all over the world, do you find that things compare? Are you missing Gulf shrimp? Are you embracing prawns? Well, I was missing New Orleans food for sure. Uh, my friend in Dominica um, that I used to dive with here, she, she and her husband moved down there and bought a place. Uh, She's a vegetarian except for lionfish because they're invasive. So <laughs> you got to eat the bad guys. <laughs> well, and there's there's not that many fish down there. They, they don't use ice on their boats, and you know they have that whole thing going on. But uh, so I made her. You know, we'd make lionfish stock, and I'd make lionfish gumbo. And uh, but in Europe, the seafood, uh, the shellfish was incredible. Uh, sometimes I find seawater oysters almost too salty. You know, because they're they're just straight out of you know 100% seawater, and I'm I'm more used to the the brackish, um, great fish. Um, unfortunately, 
more often than not, uh, it was overcooked. Mm -hmm. And I learned that pretty quick, you know, beautiful John Dory, beautiful turbo, and they cook them whole. And I tell them, take it out five minutes before you think it's done. Because, you know, the difference between moist and juicy and, and delicious and just barely coming off the bone and dried out and not worth much is three, four minutes a lot of times. I went to France and I was actually with a, another chef that is here in New Orleans and we went to this great little seaside restaurant and their special of the day was whole fish and they brought out this beautiful fish and then they wanted to take it back in the back and just cut the filet off and I, I was like no I want to eat the face I want to eat the fish just leave it here and I, I felt like our my my Louisiana roots may have gone a little too far that that I was willing to just eat it right out of the pan. Um, but there's something about when you get that good piece of fish that's cooked perfectly, you want it in the moment. You want to enjoy well, that moment. it doesn't moment. last. And, and you know, the doneness with fish, I mean, you, it's just, you almost have to work a little bit to get it off the bone. It's just barely opaque at the bone so you can, and that's hard to do something. It's hard to do in a restaurant and, you know, a cut off the head cooks differently than a cut off the tail. So it's, you know, the, the poor cook that's got, you know, 30 of those working at the same time. It's tough. It's tough. I think um, I had a very nice meal in Finns the other night. I have to pay for it now, but that's okay. <laughs> Is it nice to be able to just <laughs> kick back and be like, I'm going to enjoy all this great food <laughs> at Finns? <laughs> well, uh, and, and I have trouble getting reservations sometimes too, which I really enjoy. I tell people that, you know, Show up outside the door, 10 minutes to 5, you get a bar table. If you get there at 5 o'clock, maybe not. So hopefully this place will fund my idle lifestyle for many years to come. <laughs> but it's not so idle, right? You're traveling, you're doing things, you're getting involved in the communities where you're staying. Are you bringing back food things that you say, I need to bring this back home with me and have it so I always have it? You know, the, the big question is, this is really good, can I do it in my place? Or can I adapt it into my place? And you know, I don't, I don't think there's any, anything wrong with that at all. Yeah, there's so many good things to eat in the world. And uh, you know, and the thing about you know, being interested in food, you'll never even know a fraction of what there is to know about it. So what's left on your bucket list of places to go in the next year? Probably gonna do uh, some more road tripping. Uh, we, we truck camp with a dog in uh, Boondock. Um, we did that for a month on the desert in the Southwest before we went to, uh, to Europe. I enjoy that. Um, uh, never been to South America, so that's definitely, uh, there's an awful lot there. I'm getting it down to a backpack. No, it's a. It's not a. It's not a, a camping backpack. It's. It's a. It's a packing backpack, and I'm getting it down to that. Uh, I got rid of my coffee pot. I'm using an immersion coil now. I was gonna I've gotta ask have my coffee. <laughs> gotta have my coffee. Um, so you know, you got a grinder. You got a pound of coffee. You know. So I'm trying to. Um, you know, I'm trying to be comfortable, but. Uh, you know, still self-contained. So we'll see how that goes. What do you bring with you everywhere that you travel in the world? Well, the coffee brewing supplies, certainly. Um, do you bring a chef knife? Not not anymore. I mean, knives are in, in carry-on luggage. You know, <laughs> or, 
Um, you know, I have the dive gear, so I mean, I used to travel with my knives, but I, I can make do with what I've got. And I've I've generally got a, I've got, I can do a lot of cooking with that if but, I have to. And <laughs> y'all, he pulled out a pocket knife. <laughs> What, what do they say? The, the the poor workman blames his tools. Now I love my knives. I love my sharp knives. You know, certainly it's it's much easier to work with them. And in Airbnbs, you know, you you kind of get, you know, all your cookware is not too great. But uh, I mean, you you can adapt to it. It's I don't absolutely require having to have one anymore. Um, have you fallen in love with anything? that you've cooked with in, our, in one of these Airbnbs where you've traveled? A thing that's pretty cool too, that I, I might have to have one sometime if I have a country place where you have a, a metal, the same grill, it's got a metal bottom and you build a fire on that and it burns down, you scrape the coals back, you put your food there and you put this really heavy metal dome over the top. So it's, you know, it's kind of like a slow cooker. But, you know, you've got to be adaptable to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I did a dinner party in Spoleto uh, with my friend that let us stay there. Uh, and she had a brand new induction range. And every time you moved a pan, it went off. Every time you opened the oven, it went off. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of high pressure. You know, I had a lot of dishes going and uh, I, I was hating on that thing. Um, and, and the lamb there, once it eats solid food, it's not lamb anymore. So it's all milk-fed. The racks are about this big. So you really, I mean, in a restaurant, it'd be one rack per person. Um, and I kept having to send down to the butcher shop and get some more. Well, they had the they had the, the spine still on them. I didn't have a saw. So I had a hatchet and a block of wood and a hammer. And I'm butchering <laughs> that way. And uh, it was interesting. And I put butter sauce on pasta, which is just heresy to them. They've got these five pasta dishes that Moses brought down from the mountain. And nobody can ever change them for any reason. <laughs> so any change to them is considered uh, heretical. So I've rolled out a pie crust with a cucumber before. I've used a wine bottle. I don't think I ever use a cucumber. <laughs> we were still drinking the wine, but uh, we had some some produce, and that was the only thing we had. And we were working <laughs> with some farmers, and I said, "Oh, this will work." You know, sometimes you you do. You just have to adapt. And do you ever find yourself competing with? other chefs that are in that area like has anybody ever said okay i'm gonna make a gumbo and you gotta make a paella and we're gonna see whose is better or anything like that not really like that uh, i mean i've cooked with some people but i, I don't really consider cooking a competition uh, that much uh, who wins and who doesn't uh, you know one of one of the guests at my at the dinner party i did was a chef uh, his wife did not touch the pasta with butter. <laughs> <laughs> They're but still talking about you, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the, the Pope put a tax on salt there 800 years ago, and they quit putting salt in the bread at that point. I'm like, salt's cheap. Put some salt in your bread. You know? Colleen, my partner, likes restaurants more than I do. You know, I've, I've eaten in an awful lot of restaurants in my life, and uh, I don't expect them to be wonderful. You know, I try to go into it with, with an open mind and, you know, it's, I don't analyze dishes and all that kind of stuff. I just, you know, this is good. I enjoy that. Uh, there are a lot of mediocre restaurants in the world. And there are also a lot of mediocre restaurants in Europe. And I ate in some of them, you know, and I dropped a bunch of money. You know? So do you, 
I'm willing sometimes. It made me appreciate our restaurant. Yeah, we're lucky, right? <laughs> but do you ever say, you know, the experience balanced out the mediocre food and I still well, leave happy? It's a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to let that ruin my day, even if it's not good. Um, but why you remember a certain meal, you know, it's the weather, who you were with, you know, the occasion, how hungry you were, certainly. Um, I mean, there are a lot of intangible factors that go into that making that great experience, which is why in a restaurant, you know, service is so important. And, you know, you try to, you know, which is, as you know, is, is hard to do in a busy place when, you know, you got a, another table sitting down in two hours. But, you know, trying to create that experience for somebody, you know, when you can do it, it's wonderfully satisfying. You know, people don't realize how hard that is. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And, and you like being on the other end of it? Or do you find yourself missing it? You know, I was in the hospitality business. I started working at my dad's restaurant when I was nine, um, which was a long time ago. Um, but I, I worked, you know, full time in, you know, restaurants and, and bars and nightclubs for over 50 years. And the last two years, um, mentally and physically, I was not 100%. Um, you know, I used to be, you know, and at Finn's, you expedite six trays at a time. You got stuff coming from every direction. And I used to be very good at it. And I wasn't that good at it when I left, you know. So it was time for me to step back. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to do it. Um, I'll be 69 years old on my next birthday, which is not that. My mom will be 99 tomorrow, by the way. Wow, happy birthday to Chef Tenny's mom. And her sister will be 101 in January. Wow. So we ain't getting rid of you anytime soon. Well, you got some you know, good genes, my friend. <laughs> you know, I had lots of bad behavior in my formative years. So, you know, But when they tell you what something takes 10 years off your life, they never point out which 10 years it is. So, I mean, hopefully I have, you know, another 10 years of blowing and going in bad behavior before I have to settle down with a rocking chair. We'll see. <laughs> well, is there anything that you, you know, you're like, this is what I want to accomplish in the next five years? I would like to write about vanilla. Um, you know, I, I think I need to get a some kind of a national article and then maybe try to parlay that into a small book. Uh, I did learn a little bit about writing books when I wrote one that get the money up front because you know? <laughs> you're never going to see any more. Um, I did hit royalties on, on my cookbook um, and uh, I think it was $13 and 48 cents, something <laughs> like that. But they don't cut a check till it hits 50 bucks. So I'm probably, but you know, maybe the, it's accruing interest for you. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> But the book did what it was supposed to do. It was a great PR vehicle, uh, you know. And I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a resource for cooking seafood for for some time to come. Uh, well, Steph, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me today and just chatting about your travels and life after working in a restaurant. 
For my listeners out there, you have been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of Dinner Party, Chef Amy Sins. Until next time, ciao.